I'm Alana. I use they and she pronouns. And I'm Jesse. I use she and her pronouns. And, and we're making mentions. mentions. Making Mentions is an organization providing radical Jewish education. And today we're talking all about Rosh Chodesh Tishrei with Rebecca Enran. Rebecca, it's so wonderful to have you on, especially to talk about the mark of Tishrei with us. Please introduce yourself. What are your pronouns? Where do you call home? And we always ask your astrological sign if you're into all that. Sure. Hi, it's great to be here and to meet both of you. My name is Rebecca Erev. I use they, them pronouns. And I live on the Salish Sea on Squaxin land in the village of Stachas in so-called Olympia, Washington. I am an artist and a somatic practitioner and a Kohenet, a Hebrew priestess, and many other roles in the world. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you so much for being here with us. This is so exciting for us. We're going to give a brief background on Tishrei and then talk to Rebecca about their insights. So Alana, take us away. Okay, I'm going to give the briefest of Tishrei backgrounds because this marks the beginning of our every month talking about what every month is. Tishrei is a good time to start this because it marks the beginning of the Jewish New Year. But it is the seventh of 12 months on the Hebrew calendar. So in the Torah, it says that the head of the year is during the month of Nisan with Passover, Exodus. However, Jews have always marked time using agriculture. And with Slau being the time of the harvest, it created this other head of the year that we have deemed the start of our year. And a lot of ways, it's considered the holiest month of the year because it contains literally all of the holidays you could imagine. We have Shoshanah, we have Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchat Torah. So there is just so much going on. It felt overwhelming to even start to get into everything that the month of Tishrei has to offer because I was like, I don't even know where to start. There's so much to talk about. We could dissect every single holiday and connect it back to the month. But we're, we're trying to keep it simple and to the point. In the same way that people set intentions and consider accountability and what that means during the Gregorian New Year, we very much do the same around Rosh Hashanah during this month of teaching. So it's a time to really create a vision for the coming year and set intentions for yourself. What is this year going to look like? For you, what do you envision for yourself, for your community? How can we move forward this year being more of our truest self than we were last year, like continuing to move closer to fullest self? It's a really good time to hold ourselves accountable and also give ourselves gentle grace in that accountability. I think something that Jesse and I have been talking a lot about is just that Oftentimes, I think the people who are most hard on themselves when it comes to holding themselves accountable are people who are already doing that constantly in their day-to-day life. And so this time of the year comes around, it can feel like, I don't know, it feels heavy and it's almost like, well, I'm already doing this every day. Do I need to be harder on myself? And I think a lot of times like, no, (laughs) 
you don't really, but it's a, it is a time to reflect and to think about maybe how to be more gentle on yourself and how to not constantly consider the ways that you've wronged people or shown up wrong in the world. So I think do with accountability what is right for you and the person that you are. I think the best part about this, as usual, is that this happens on a community level. Like all of these things, this reflection, this repair is happening with our community when we come together on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur, Sukkot and Sukkot Torah. So not only is that accountability and reflection and also fun New Year excitement of intention setting and envisioning happening on an individual level, but it's also happening together. And I think it's really a time to strengthen the communities that we live in and set ourselves up for a more communal year to come. I think especially following the Evolual, it's time to put all that introspection and repair into practice and start to allow ourselves to move forward. So that is my long-winded nutshell on Tishrei. Before we jump into what Rebecca is going to say, which is going to be incredibly insightful and thoughtful, I'm just going to give a very lower interpretation that I realized I hate this time of year. I really hate it. And I've always felt very anxious around September, like starting school, but also just the kind of hot, not fall, starting to get into fall, change in seasons. And I've always wondered if it was just an anxious person thing or if there were other reasons. And reading a little bit about Tishrei, I was thinking it's a real time of holding that duality and that time for change, but also time for community and that time for inner reflection, but also working on your relationships with other people. But it's a lot of back and forth and pressure to change and build. And I don't know, I was thinking about your Virgo placements a lot. I'm thinking maybe that's why it's perfect for you. But like for me, it's just get really overwhelmed. So I'm just throwing that in there. All of that being said, Rebecca, what are some themes that stand out to you for Tishrei? Thank you both for sharing. And I just want to say, Jesse, I really relate to that feeling this time of year too, as a neurodivergent person and who really struggled in school. The beginning of school was like always a lot of anxiety around that time of year. And I also grew up in a place without many Jews, nor was my family very practicing, but I did feel the weight of the high holidays in my life, mostly through my grandparents and just feeling alone as a Jew with that and where I grew up. And yeah, I relate to that. And as I've grown older and really embraced my Judaism and explored this time of year and all of the gorgeous holidays, it shifted a little bit, but it, it's still there. And in terms of this time of year, there's so much beautiful stuff. I, I appreciate what you were saying, Alana, about the people who take accountability are the ones who maybe like take a break from taking accountability. <laughs> and a friend of mine and I, um, Micah Amifei, we were speaking to that years ago together and thinking about the alchit, so the communal confession that we do. That even if you don't know what the Hebrew means, like when you hear the tune, you probably recognize it from services. Um, and it's so beautiful that we do it together communally. We're not alone. And so we say, I did this thing. We did this thing. We did this thing. And tap our chest is one tradition. 
as we do it. So even if you didn't do the specific thing, you are with the people who did. But we were like, there's so much focus on that. And also being people who are maybe overly accountable (laughs) at times, we conceived of this other piece of liturgy called Allness and interpreted that as for the miracle we have enlivened. And maybe you can share it in the show notes, but we see it as like a supplement and an encouragement and a follow-up to Al-Khit. And so it follows a little bit of the same uh, tempo. So instead of saying, I did this wrong, the, the tempo was for the miracle we enlivened with you, meaning with the divine of our own free will and the miracle we've enlivened with you of open heartedness for the miracle we've enlivened with you inadvertently and on. And then we say for the miracle we've enlivened with you when no one is watching in the quiet of our own hearts. And then saying for all these Shekhinah bless us and work with us to create more blessings. And there's a lot more to it than that, but just to give you that kind of taste of that piece um, of liturgy. And so I hope that is helpful to people and that if so, it gets encouraged or gets included in in more services Um, because it's certainly been helpful and supportive to me to frame because we did so many wonderful things as we're reflecting on the year too. And that does feel like a piece that feels a little bit missing. It's great to be completely honest about missteps and harm. And it's also, we don't spend a lot of time being completely honest about the good, wonderful things that we've done and participated in. I could say so much about Tishrei. One of my other favorite things is in ancient times, the holiday in Av, that is one of my favorite holidays, Tuba Av, the, the love holiday. We dance under the grape arbors and wear white clothes, and it's like a very sexual, sensual moment in time, and doing this to encourage the grapes to ripen. And then actually, people did it on Yom Kippur too. So there's also that of dancing under the grape arbors, grapes, and wearing white on Yom Kippur, too. Way back, Yom Kippur was actually a really ecstatic holiday. (laughs) And the work of Elul, the work of reflecting that we do that before Tishrei, prepares us to have this moment and the days of awe between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It prepares us to have this really wonderful moment of feeling really connected and at one. And I always tell people like, when I talk about this, also don't feel pressure. Because if you don't feel that way on Yom Kippur, that's okay too. But if you just have one glimmer of your complete experience of being a whole human on Yom Kippur with all of your pieces, that's enough. Just one moment of feeling like you belong, that you're good, that you're loved. We can just feel that in like tiny moments. Hopefully they can grow more because not feeling that is such an experience of patriarchy and capitalism and colonialism. And then another thing I really love about Tishrei is Sukkot is probably my favorite holiday. Another holiday where 
people are dancing and celebrating. And in ancient times, there were these big torches, fire torches, and people having orgies in the temple and doing the things that they want the earth to do, create more humans, create more food, and then this tradition to beat willow onto the earth because the sound of willow beating onto the earth is the sound of the rain. And willow is a plant very much associated with rain and water. And so Sukkot was a time to pray for rain, pour water libations at the temple over rocks, give back to the earth, be part of the water cycle, and really enjoy oneself and celebrate the harvest and pray that it continues. Simchat Torah is fun too, especially the, it seems like such a holiday associated with kids at this point in my life of unrolling the Torah and then kids playing with their stuffed Torahs. So those are some of my associations. Thank you so much for all of that. And I want to ask about a lot of things, but I'm a little stuck to something you said at the beginning, and I'm curious if you want to speak on it more or not. You said that Judaism had a very different role in your life growing up than it does now, I think you alluded to. So I'm just curious, do you want to speak a little bit on that and how that might inform your Judaism today or speak to parts of your practice today or not? Yeah, I grew up in a very assimilated home and my mom's Jewish and my dad isn't, although I think he thinks of himself as a Jew at this point, he really as being part of our family. And that was like a point of grief for me that I couldn't quite place until I was an adult because I was a very spiritual kid and teenager. And my mom's best friend studied a course in miracles. And I remember being at one of her study sessions with my mom and just feeling like really connected to that work. And my mom wasn't overtly or speaking about being spiritual, but she was interested in those things and had friends who were interested in those things. And my father was also really connected with the natural world. And both my parents are gardeners and work a lot with plants. And so I had these ways of feeling connected, but without much organized spiritual space of being with people and growing up in this town that was very Protestant and Catholic. So I actually asked my parents if I could have a bat mitzvah. And so I started studying Hebrew at, I think I was 12, and then went on from there, went all the way up in Hebrew school. <laughs> it was a reformed congregation. So my bat mitzvah, there was this confirmation thing they did, which was adopted from Christianity. And then I became like a Hebrew school teacher at the temple, just a tutor, like with young kids. And but then when I as I grow older a bit and was on my own, I really sought out Jewish community that I felt encompassed all of who I was, which was I was learning about Zionism and becoming politicized about that. I was coming out as queer, coming together as a young adult with a group of people actually here in Olympia to make a this queer havara that was Jews from all different places, but we shared a lot of similar politics. Thank you so much for sharing about that. And it's always so interesting to hear everyone's journey to a cool Jewish community. <laughs> and it's exciting to hear 
parts of my own journey echoed in your journey. And that's just like really cool. Going back, though, to all of the things you walked us through with observation of and participation in ritual in the temple for our Hagim. How do you typically observe Rosh Kodesh if you do? And are there some parts of it that are very similar to what we're talking about in terms of traditional observance? Or do you have a practice that is maybe very like deeply informed by this cool community you have in Olympia? That community has since dissipated. But Someone that was a part of that, who I'm still very much connected to, is Nomi Lam, who's been my partner with the Dreaming the World to Come project and a dear old friend and family. And so one of the, my favorite ways that I've celebrated Rosh Kodesh has been a, a very small Rosh Kodesh circle and singing and sometimes burning things we needed to let go of. And maybe doing readings with tarot or oracle cards and just talking and being together and talking about the past month, the month ahead, maybe setting some intentions at times. There's a tradition that isn't very widespread, but it's Yom Kippur Katan, which means little Yom Kippur, which is at the end of the month before. Rosh Chodesh, looking back over the past month and doing a similar practice that we would do on Yom Kippur of what's gone really well and what do I want to celebrate and what do I want to change or let go of. So we have that kind of monthly maintenance per se too. And there's been times, there's also a practice of doing that every night before you go to bed. And I, I don't remember the name someone told me once. I should look it up. But there's been times where I've journaled every night before bed. How did it go today? I had a set of questions that I answered. Had I harmed anyone or myself? Like, where do I need to make changes? What can I celebrate from the day? That kind of thing. I love that. It's so nice to, to hear about how people observe Rosh Kodesh and like what rituals stand out for people. I feel like I am still so new to creating ritual around Rosh Kodesh. I feel like I've only really been doing it in earnest for the last year or so. And it's easily already my most cherished and favorite ritual. Something about it feels so deeply spiritual and cathartic. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I also always pull an oracle card from this one deck that I have. That's a very nature-based deck that I love so much. And I feel like the cards that I pull on Rosh Kodesh are always eerily sitting. I'm always like, I don't know, something just feels so aligned during that time. I'm like, whoa. So I like the, the things that you said. I'm excited to maybe put some of them into practice. Jesse wants to burn some things that are next. Yeah, sometimes I don't practice Rosh Kodesh at all. And but I always I'm aware of where the moon is at in her cycle. So I'm tracking when it's the dark moon and feeling a connection and noticing emotionally and where I'm at with the moon. I also think that it's interesting to astrologically what the moon was like when you were born apparently has an influence on your life. And I was born around the dark moon. So I think that's part of my interest in Rosh Chodesh and in really 
what's in the dark, what's to be revealed in the dark places. And I was also going to say another way that I've celebrated is with Jewish Voice for Peace, JVP, the Haberan Network, which I've been a part of for years, has a monthly Rosh Chodesh call, and it's a really sweet little community. That's really good to know about. We can, we like to plug things that folks mention in the description after, but stuff like something that we'll add in there. I feel like so much of this month and so much of what we've been talking about is just like rituals because there's so many specific rituals around the holidays that carry so much meaning. I feel like every year I learn a new ritual that's associated with the holiday that feels cool and meaningful. This year, I feel like I've been getting into Toshlet a lot and this idea of releasing with water, which is just something that feels very powerful and very present. I, I really like the idea of combining Jewish spirituality with the natural world because I feel like it already does that so inherently. So many rituals are centered around the world around us and making use of the world around us for connecting with our spiritual selves and the divine. And when I was reading more about Crashless, I feel like a lot of it reminded me of the mikvah and the idea of going into the water as a release or a connection to the self even. So I was thinking about the Queer Mikvah Project, which is another incredible project that you're involved in starting. And I saw that they were posting a Days of Awe Queer Mikvah ritual this weekend with Nefesh LA. I guess by the time we post this, the ritual will already have passed. But I was just curious if you could share more about the power of the mikvah in conjunction with Jewish holidays and anything you want to share about the Queer Mikvah Project, because we've been longtime fans. Sure. I often do a mikvah before Rosh Hashanah. For people listening, if you don't know, a mikvah is a Jewish water ritual of immersion. And conventionally, people do it before they get married and also when they finish their menstrual cycle. But the Queer Mikvah Project is really enlivening and expanding what mikvah can be and how people can experience that works for them. So yeah, that's a nice Tishrei or almost Tishrei experience to get in water, to finish out the year and go into some kind of body of water, whether it's through bathtub or natural body of water, or just doing it through drinking a cup of water pouring water over your head however it's accessible to you and letting go of the past year and yeah queer mixer project is something that's giving me a lot of life right now it's fun because we started in 2015 around the time of standing rock and in many ways inspired by standing rock and wanting to be in solidarity with indigenous folks protecting our waters, and that we have this Jewish ritual around paying reverence to the water of of mikvah. And so there's this alignment there that we could tap into. And it's become really a way to create community and create spaces for people. The intention was to create spaces for people in 
radical Jewish community who may not have felt there was space for them or there wasn't a space where they could be all of themselves. And I think that we've been successful in that way at times. And because of our politics and orientation, it's also been a slow growing project because it's been tricky to get funding for it. Although we're very grateful to the Jewish Liberation Fund and Rise Up recently, who the last few years have given us some grants. That's been really helps the work grow. And yeah, what else about Queer Micro Project? We are collaborating with uh, Rosa Blumenfeld of Reclaiming Indigeneity a lot right now and excited to see what that brings. I don't want to say too much because we, we don't know how it'll turn out yet, but our, our website should be coming out. Our goal is to put it out on Sukkot so people can learn more about the work that way. And our hope is that there'll be ways, probably not when we first release it, but in time, ways for people to connect and find each other to do queer mikvah, to do mikvah together and to share and build community, hopefully through the website in time, one, one piece. And really another big piece of the work is to motivate and inform and get the Jewish community into action around supporting indigenous work for land back, water protection, and liberation, including for Palestinians. Love the Queer Mikva Project. And I love what you shared before, too, about the accessibility of ritual and how important that is, like whatever is accessible to you. And thinking about projects like the Queer Mikva Project and the Dreaming the World to Come Planner and all of these things about explaining ritual and allowing room for people to find their own connection to ritual, I think is so important because Judaism can be a very like proscribed religion where you just do things and you'll find the connection to the ritual later. Just do it that way. Just internalize it. Just memorize it. And you'll develop some relation to it when you're older. And so I think it's really powerful to stop that in its tracks and be like, what do you think about this ritual and how is it meaningful to you and how can we make it applicable to your life. So I just really appreciate that aspect of what you're bringing to your projects. And of course, the like principled political stance, which I won't get on a soapbox about, but saying, no, this is important to us and we'll risk not getting funding because we know that like land back is a movement we're not going to give up in the name of a grant from a large Jewish organization or donor. So I just really respect that and what you're doing. But I was supposed to ask a question about the Dreaming the World to Come planner and what that project and podcast has meant to you. So if you would like to talk about that one as well. Thank you for speaking to that because that really articulates so much of the intention of my work. And I think the Dreaming the World to Come work too of it's really important to me because I felt excluded from Judaism from for a long time and not knowing Hebrew well or not knowing what to do at whatever holiday that as I did learn things, it didn't always feel right to me. So to make it work for myself and then share that with other people, hopefully it worked for them too. And that's so much about a queer culture. And I always tell people, our ancestors, they made that shit up. So we can make that shit up too. 
And that's what it's all about, making things relevant for today. Because what was relevant hundreds of years ago, though it still informs who we are and and some of the things we care about, it, it doesn't work now. And the the dreaming, the world to come planner really came out of a place of, you know, me and I are both really like dreamers. Like we remember our sleeping dreams and talk about them and put a lot of energy into that part of our lives. And that this concept that our ancestors gave us of Olam Haba, the world to come, which is talked about at length in the Kabbalah, is this world that we always are living in. And it might not be what the mainstream culture is paying attention to, but I think what you all are doing and what I'm doing and what so many Jews who are creating alternative culture and like staying true to our values and figuring out what our values are along the way we are living the world to come in many ways it can also be interpreted as what happens after you die but as someone who thinks of time as a spiral we are now also dead (laughs) happened and we live in multiple realities is. So that's some of the intention of the world to come, that tracking the year and learning about the traditions and creating work, meaning that's relevant to us in our lives through the year. And also like the Queer Mikvah Project, lifting up voices and centering Jews of color, indigenous Jews, Mizrahi, Sephardic, trans Jews, disabled Jews, working class and poor Jews. People who have been at the margins, on the fringes, and making space for their stories, their wisdom, that's been a lot of the intention. And for us, that's the world we want to live in. So that's the world to come. And then the podcast, we're not doing it again this year. And we actually, we did an episode for each month of the Hebrew year. And we interviewed the collaborator, the person who wrote about that month in the planner. And the planner this year actually has a QR code for each month to that podcast for that month because we think it's really valuable what got talked about and the wisdom from the collaborators that got shared. And it really is this like dialogue that I haven't heard quite like anywhere else. So I hope that people continue to glean from that podcast series. I'm actually taking a step back from the planner this year for a variety of reasons. And Nomi's taking leadership on it at this point. But of course, it's still, of course, the planner this year still had my hand in it because we used some similar things from other years. But Nomi took over the design and did the cover. But if you don't have one yet, I highly recommend it. And you can get it at dreamingtheworldtocome.com. Um, yes, I have mine already. I jumped on it so quickly. It's actually sweet. The first Dreaming the World to Come planner that I got was from Jesse for my birthday a few years ago. And that was my intro to the planner. And I've gotten one every year since <laughs> because I loved it so much. And I, I love like the all of the different conversations for each month and like all the things that were highlighted for each month, like really resonated. And I think brought me so much more clarity on what was really going on in each month, because I feel like 
we don't, yeah, we don't talk about Rosh Chodesh very traditionally, like in Jewish spaces. I didn't learn about the months in the Jewish year growing up at all. I didn't learn what any of them meant. I didn't learn anything about a Rosh Chodesh practice. And so in a lot of ways, it feels like I'm starting from scratch at a lot of this. And yeah, the Dreaming the World Become Planner has just been such a helpful, not only resource, but like guide. And it is really beautiful. I encourage everyone to get this year's and also honestly get the past years. Like I love just reading every year's new little insert for each month and listen to the podcast I've been listening and it's wonderful. Anyway, that's my fangirl on the planner. <laughs> you don't have any planners left from the first couple of years, but you can still get last year's. And yeah, I relate to what you're saying because I too have learned so much about the Hebrew year through making the planner so much. I have grown immensely as a Jewish educator through the project of my knowledge and experience of the Hebrew year. Just spending time at all focusing on the months. I didn't know the names of the months. I didn't know so many holidays that I know now that I can incorporate into the energy of my world. And I do want to say that because just to let people know that I'm not an expert. I, we're all learning all of the time. And if you want to spend time doing that, I think there's really something to be said, of course, about people who are spending time learning about something and, and cultivating that wisdom. I certainly have been doing that, but I started off not knowing that much myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really resonate with that. And I just feel like the last few years has really felt like that for me once you choose Judaism for yourself if that makes sense like once yeah once you make that decision for yourself I think there is so much welcome learning and teaching that comes with it and I'm just so much more interested and rejuvenated by Judaism than I was when it was just what was like Jesse's before I think the word prescribed to me and I get so much joy from it I do all of our little Rosh Chodesh posts and researching for Rosh, Rosh Chodesh and creating our ritual circles is just like very meaningful for me. And I feel like it's been so incredible for me to learn all of these ways that like other forms of spirituality I practice are actually very tied into Judaism. And I can like create, not that I can create those connections already exist and live in them, which is just yeah, very cool. And I like, I've loved that journey for myself and I get excited for other people to go on it as well. And I just wanted to highlight there are so many cool planner calendars that follow the Hebrew calendar now. I like didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, I can't justify buying like seven different <laughs> calendars, but there's so many and I'll link a bunch in the description, but I just think it's very exciting and I love the idea of living on that timeline. So I encourage everyone to buy yourself a Hebrew calendar this year. Especially because we have four new years throughout the year. So you get to start over constantly. You're like, if this year isn't going well, the year starts again in another couple months. Have a fresh start again. <laughs> As you were talking about, like, seems like one of the themes of our conversation, making Judaism your own, I was thinking of Something that Ishak Ofori Solomon, who was the contributor last year for the month of Heshvan, shared with us about 
that what if we called ourselves Am Yisrael instead of Jewish? Because that term Jewish didn't come from Jews. And like we weren't even called Jews until more modern times. And but Yisrael is like people, not like the state of Israel, but like people whose stories and roots are from this place and almost like mythology that that connects us all. Because I've been feeling like for a couple of years now, I don't even feel like I'm Jewish in this way. I'm like so Jewish in, in this way. I'm like, could it be more Jewish? But like in this other way, I don't feel Jewish because I don't know what it, that means exactly. Like, I don't know what it is to be Jewish. And I don't think of myself as a religious person. I'm interested in culture and I'm interested in spirituality. But the kind of dichotomy of religion and like how religion has been used as a tool of oppression feels like so much of what's behind it that thinking about different ways to identify is exciting to me or not even have an identity of just this is what I'm interested in and that I spend time in my life exploring and celebrating and bringing people together around being a part of because it's been also this term Jewish or that identity has also been a way that I've really felt like I didn't belong there was something about how he said that you should definitely listen to that episode it's incredible he's like an incredible scholar and think that and there's something about that framework of oh actually we're bound together by a connection to myth and almost the archetype of stories and I do think of rituals that way, that they're archetypes in time. They're ways for us to track the story of our life and make meaning of our existence. And so we're part of a group of people who has been storying together. I love that because thinking about that in all of that brings in, I don't want to put a dichotomy or like a binary on it of like good and bad, but of all the things we pick up that we don't necessarily need to continue to carry with us. And I was listening to a rabbi talk about that, like picking up stuff from our family or our parents or whatever, but thinking about it religiously, all the beautiful things that come with narrating or creating narratives together, but all the things that can be super damaging, like you're sharing about the history of religion in general and the history of our religion. Anyway, it's just me thinking about all of those incredible things you brought up and this is a really difficult point in the episode because I have to transition from these beautiful ideas to the question that is, if you could leave all of our listeners with one message for Tishrei, what would it be? Then you can take time to think about that one. I feel like what I want to share with people is to let yourself belong, to let yourself belong to the stories and to the culture and to remember that you are a part of something greater and you don't have to know the prayers you don't have to know the songs you don't have to know anyone at the place where you're going to celebrate you don't have to go to a place that you belong and through 
working on cultivating that sense of belonging to allow yourself to grieve feeling of not belonging and let the grief give way to feeling joy. And Sukkot is all about joy, the joy portal holiday. Enjoying, if the only thing you do is eat harvest food, the fruits and the vegetables of the harvest, if that's the only thing you do to celebrate the high holidays, it's enough. Thank you. That is the best message to leave us on. That's full circle. We were talking earlier about how we can start to beat ourselves up for what we're not doing around this time. I think it's just such a beautiful reminder to think of all the things that we are doing and we actually don't have to do anything to be doing enough. So thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for all the other wisdom that you've brought to us during this episode. I'm just like, really getting into it when you were talking about the idea that we're creating our culture around myth and that is what draws us together. Loving that. I'm going to be thinking about that for a very long time to come. Rebecca, thank you so much again for joining us. And we just wanted to give some time for you to highlight any upcoming work that you're putting out or any new projects you're working on. So feel free to use this time for that. Yeah, thank you. I'm in the process of being certified as a somatic coach, and I'm actually really excited about the ways that fits into Jewish practice. Um, I'm sure lots of people who are listening are familiar with the field of somatics, which is really growing. And a somatic coach isn't exactly a therapist, but it's therapeutic. And I think the difference between therapy and the somatic coaching is it's less focused on the past trauma and more focused on what's present in someone's body, in your body now, and, and ways to move towards your desires or goals and align your life in ways that may feel out of alignment. And I'm really excited about the work in particular of using Jewish teachings that I have, I feel like I have embodied and continue to learn about somatically and sharing that with the people that I'm working with, relating the work of like, how do we live in our bodies and feel more sensations, feel more feelings, expand our capacity to be alive and how does that relate with Judaism, for lack of a better word, <laughs> but relate with feeling connected to our ancestors, cultural practices, rituals in our day-to-day lives, yearly rituals. And Judaism is a very, I think, at its core, embodied practice. <laughs> and we have already have these ways that we are welcoming the body in, but I think a lot of it's gotten lost in modernization of Judaism. And there's been like so much focus on scholarship and I think modern rabbinical work. It often is like very academic and part of the, of making Judaism feminist and earth-based is about remembering that our own bodies are of the earth and we come from a long line of practices that were really embodied like 
wrapping cemeteries with wicks to make soul candles and our really ancient ancestors worshiping Ashira poles, which were trees and also poles made out of trees that connect or in reverence of connecting the earth and the sky and us being these poles as humans and to learn from the trees those lessons. So I'm really excited about that work and I love working with people and it's a it it for me it feels like a natural progression of my work but it is slightly different because I'm focusing more on working with people one-on-one -on -one and supporting them in being their whole embodied selves. That sounds amazing. And yeah, there's so many connections to be drawn between somatic therapy and how we can use our somatic responses as tools to heal. And so I love that work as someone who's in the social work therapy world. That's very exciting. And I love the ties to Judaism. So if people are interested in learning more about your practice or working with you, where should they contact you? Yeah, please email me at Rebecca Arrow Studio. And I'm really happy to set up like a free half hour call to, to chat with people and tell them more about the work and see if it's a good fit for them. And yeah, right now I'm looking for a couple more practice clients at a reduced rate. And um, then in October, I'll formally open my practice and looking forward to meeting whoever feels drawn to it. That sounds incredible. Everyone get into that, get those reduced rates and help Rebecca grow their practice and do amazing things. Awesome. We'll put all that information in the description as well. So if you want to reach out to Rebecca, we'll have their email there. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. We're so excited for you and your journey with that. Thank you for all of the incredible work you do, the work of creating the Dreaming the World Become Planner, the work of the Queer Mikva Project. Yeah, it's just inspired us for a very long time. And we have been very excited to speak with you and are, are grateful for everything you bring to your community. I want to highlight, if you're listening to this now, our next episode is going to be an episode all about Yom Kippur. Actually, we had to pick one holiday to focus on this season and that's what we're going for. So it's going to be fun and juicy and that's the next time you'll hear from us. We also have a new Instagram post up with some of our updated offerings just about what we are doing in the world, what our podcast format is looking like this coming year. So I think by the time people will be listening to this, the Rosh Hashanah will have just happened or will be about to happen. Wishing everyone a sweet new year. And we're so excited to take on this new year with you. Thanks, everyone. And thank you so much, Rebecca. My pleasure. Happy New Year. Hugs the math.